Hello, this sermon audio is a ministry of the Town Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you would like to learn more about us, how to connect, or how to support us, go to our website, thetownchurch.org. While listening to the Bible preached is a healthy part of our spiritual formation, it is not the whole picture. So if you aren't a part of a local church, we encourage you to prayerfully commit to a local body of believers where you live. We're glad you can join us, and we hope God uses the following sermon to reveal more of His glory to you. All right, good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. Here's what we've been doing over the last, uh, actually last week is when we started this. We started a series um, looking at our doctrine as a church. If you're unfamiliar with that word and what it means, doctrine is a, a, a word that means um, a set of beliefs held by a group of people. So we are the group of people, us as a church, the town church, we have a set of beliefs that we hold to as a church. Say, yes, this is, this is what we believe. And so we have that. Um, and, and while we typically work through books of the Bible, um, together, that's what we do. We choose a book of the Bible and we work from beginning to end through that book. We thought it would be good for us to take some time um, to just step aside from that, to look intently at what we believe together as a church, as a church body. Um, and so each week we're going to take a specific doctrine and work through it um, in, in that way. I was listening to a podcast this um, last week and the um, the what do you call some, a podcaster? Is that what you call them? A person? The person who was doing this um, podcast, he, uh, I don't know if he was a believer or not, I, I couldn't tell from, from the way he was uh, talking through this, but he, he gave some stats about the church um, in America and the, the decline of numbers who are connecting to churches in America, so it's on the decline, and um, he said there's, there's one church that continues to increase or at least stay stable in America, and it's the, the conservative Bible-believing church is the only church in America that's stable or, uh, or seeing some increase. And his um, uh, uh, conjecture on this was that he, he believes that people today, in the midst of sort of like, hey, believe whatever you want to believe, in the midst of that, people today actually want to know what you believe. Right? They want to know from the church that they're a part of, or at least churches in general, that this church holds to something. And, and so that, those churches that are saying, this is what we hold to, this is what we believe, are actually seeing some, at least some stability or some increase because of that. Now, that was his conjecture, but I would say the same. That we, we as a church want to have a, a set of beliefs that say, this is what we believe. This is what we stand for. All of those things springing from the Word of God. And so that's what we're doing over these weeks. Last week, I, I gave a, um, a few guidelines for our time together. Let me put those in front of you quickly again. Um, first, while we often study through books of the Bible... Um, from beginning to end. Um, we're not doing that now, but I would encourage you to have a Bible near you, with you, right? Bring a Bible. And I, last week I encouraged this. I don't get any kickbacks from publishers, but I'm going to encourage you to bring a paper Bible. And here's why. We'll see it here in just a bit. You, you see the flow of what, what's happening in Scripture. You see how um, o- over the centuries the, the Bible has been organized in the way that it's been organized. So I would encourage you, while a phone is fine and you can find things quickly or a tablet or whatever, I would encourage you to, to have have a paper Bible so that you can see this. So that's first. Um, while, while we won't be looking at a book of the Bible um, in its entirety, we'll, we will be using our Bibles. And then secondly, in a series like this that, that can often go heady, 
right, can often go intellectual and we can often think, well, I'm going to study that more and really dig into that and just um, dig down deep into that. We would encourage that, right? If that's where you are, I I would absolutely encourage that. We also want to put in front of us that we have um, some ways that we can think about these things creatively, um, experience these things creatively, the things that we're learning. And so what we've done um, over the months is we've compiled a, a group of artists here from the church to put together ways that they have communicated um, each of our doctrines. So we started last week, um, and last week we had the one out, out in the lobby, and now we have it over here. By the way, we don't have it over here because we don't like it. That's not why it's over here in the corner. In fact, just the opposite. We love it. Um, But over the weeks, we're going to keep these going. And so by the end of our 13 weeks together, we'll see all of the doctrines communicated in in an artistic way from from some of our very own people. And so um, we'll see that over the weeks. This week, Melody Shaddix put together um, the art. And if you saw it in the lobby, um, here it is on the screen. I would encourage you to look at it in the lobby. It's stunning. Uh, Melody has been um, working through, working with um, a quilting. Is that what you say? Working with qu- a quilter. She has been an expert quilter um, since 2012. And here's what I, I've asked each of the artists to write a statement about their work. And I think this is where the stunning part comes in. Listen to what Melody says and how she describes the work that she has done. So here's what she says. She says, Psalm 12:6 says this. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. This scripture is the basis for my artwork. In the center of the quilt are 66 blocks, representing the 66 books of the Bible. This segment of the quilt is quilted in a free-form wave pattern to illustrate that all scripture is God-breathed. The blocks are arranged in a triangular layout because we believe in a triune God. Additionally, they are various shades of gray with a silver tool, all right, quilted um, as an overlay to convey pure silver. The surrounding background in vibrant blues, oranges, and reds conjure up the idea of a refining fire. There are seven flames embroidered in the quilt to represent, represent the seven purifications. Now, that, that's her um, presentation of this doctrine in, in a creative way. I'd, again, I'd encourage you to look at it in more detail um, out in the lobby. We, we can think deeply about these things, or we can dig in deeply and read um, books and books and books on these things. We can also um, communicate these things creatively. And so we want to keep putting that in front of the church. So first, we'll use our Bible. Second, we want to think uh, deeply, but, but also creatively. Um, and then third, the third thing I put in front of us last week was this. The end goal of our understanding a set of beliefs like this is not simply... Um, a greater head understanding of these things. So that's, that's not the only thing we're pushing for. We don't only want to fill our heads with knowledge. What, the end goal of what we're doing is greater affection for God. All right? and, and so I want to keep that in front of us. Again, we, we, um, we said this last week, but in the very beginning of how, how God set up the laws several hundred years ago, uh, God said to his people in Deuteronomy 6, you shall what? Love, right? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's, that's affection language. That we have, we can have affections for God. In fact, we're called to have affections for lean in that direction for God. In fact, I would say that if our affections are not being stirred for God as we learn about Him, we may be in danger of moving toward arrogance. Like, look what I know. 
Look at all the things that I, I understand and can put in front of you. And, and then from arrogance, we move pretty quickly into legalism, right? Look at all the things I know and look at me walk them out perfectly, or at least in the ways that I, I see that they're worked out perfectly. The end goal of this is not just a greater head understanding, but it's also growing affections for God. Those things are woven together. They can't be separate. Greater affections for God. Does that make sense? I'm going to ask you again. Does that make sense? All right, good. Um, We're going to jump into a a lot this morning, and I'll tell you this now. I'll let you down easily now. Um, We're not going to cover everything we could cover, um, although we are going to cover a lot. Let me read our doctrine first. This is the statement that we have on our doctrinal statement about Revelation, uh, the the Word of God, um, and how He's revealed Himself. So let me read it. We believe that God has inspired the words of the 66 books of the Old and New Testaments. These writings alone constitute the Word of God, which is utterly authoritative, without error in the original writings, complete in its revelation of His will for salvation, and sufficient for all that God requires us to believe and do. All right, that, that is our statement. There's a lot packed in there. And, and I'll start here by saying we are a communication-driven people. We, we live in, a, in, a, in an age where we want communication. We, we want to, to know. We, we're hungry for communication. And, and co- communication has been, I, I think, because there's so much of it and so it's so readily available, it's been cheapened, right? Because anybody now can publish anything, right? All you need is a heartbeat and a computer and you can publish anything. In fact, you, you do it probably all the time in comments on Instagram or whatever. You're just able to communicate in all kinds of ways, political rants here and there and, and on and on. We've even gone so far as a, as a group of people, as a society, to cheapen our communication to now what is called the emoji, right? And, and you all laugh, but you... Everybody knows what an emoji is, right? And that, that's shameful, that we know that a cartoon image that we could put out there actually communicates something. And, and, and if you don't know what it communicates, no worries, because emojipedia.org is a place that you can go and put in the image, and it will spit out, hey, this is probably what was being communicated by that thing, right? So if you don't have a clue why someone texted you eggplant crying cat, right? Then you would type that in and say, oh, that's why they sent that to me, right? And, and you can do that. We, we spend much of our lives in this sort of weird communication. It's been overdone in all kinds of ways, right? We spend much of our lives jumping from one piece of communication to another where we would say, well, this link got me to this article, and in the comments of this article, I, I began to, to read about this other thing, which got me to this link, which really got me thinking, where has Corey Feldman been since the Goonies, right? And it turns out this week, as I went down that trail, he's a musician, right? So that's what Corey Feldman's doing, or self-proclaimed musician. We are hungry for communication in all kinds of ways, in part, I think, because we want to know. We want to know. We want knowledge. And I think also, in part, we don't just want knowledge, but we also want to be known. We, we want knowledge, but we also want to be known. And so we share our ideas, and we want to be known. In an effort to be known, we, we push our, our ideas out there to, to say, yeah, I, I'm worth having around. You, you need to hear from me. And here, here's something that I think ought to be mind-boggling for us. The very God of everything knows us. 
and, and has a desire to be known by us. So he speaks to us. He, he reveals himself to us in, in a variety of ways. He, he reveals himself to us. And we could go a couple different ways. He reveals himself to, to all people uh, through what we would call general revelation, meaning that there's, there are these common everyday graces that we experience. Right? Food and, and water and the sun shining and, and the rain falling, or in our case, the snow every single week falling, right? Those are common graces from God that, 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 that are lavished upon all people. And while that's true, God also reveals himself to us specifically, and he does that primarily how? Through his word. He does that primarily through his word, the Bible. And so can we just pause right there in the very beginning of all of this and just recognize that there is one God, a personal God, not a God that, that's, that's far off and we, and we can't be near, a personal God who knows us intimately and wants to be known by us so much that he's revealed himself to us in the pages of Scripture that we have copies of, not just a, 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 a copy, but copies of. And, 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 and so I, I know this is going to sound um, like the typical pastor giving the typical application to a typical sermon. I know that. But, but we have the Word of God written for us. We, we have the very words of God written for us so that we can know God and, and in knowing Him, love Him. And, and I know this may sound trite, but, but I guess I, I really don't care. Can we take this challenge to heart? That when you, um, this is the challenge I want want to put in front of us, at least in this part. When you wake up in the morning, are you first drawn to your phone or your computer or the newspaper? Remember those? Are you drawn first to that? Or, Or are you drawn to the very words of the living God who wants to be known by us and who knows us intimately? You have the ability to know him, to be drawn to him. To, to, to be moving in your affections toward him. Is that a desire? And some of you this morning may just simply need to hear that. Are you taking seriously the fact that you have the very word of God available to you? If, if you're not challenged by that, I'm not sure that much of what we'll work through this morning will, will, will actually hit, what we'll take. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take our, our doctrinal statement that you have here. Maybe you have it printed there in front of you. I want to take that and I want to match it up to a passage in Second Timothy. So here's the outline that we'll walk through. Um, kind of matches our, our doctrinal statement. Also, Second um, Timothy chapter 3. So if you would, go ahead and grab a Bible and turn to Second Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy is in the New Testament, so I'm going to give you a little instruction here about how to find things. If you know this, fine, you can listen anyway. Second Timothy is in the New Testament, which is in the back half of your Bible. Second um, Timothy is the second letter, right? That, that's mind-blowing, right? Second Timothy is the second letter that Paul wrote to his young friend Timothy. So it's in the section of your Bibles in the New Testament that's the letters, Right? So you've got the letters to the churches, starting with Romans, and then right after that you've got the letters to the individuals. And here's a little tip. Um, if you're looking for Timothy, all of the books of the Bible that start with the letter T are together, 
and, and they're in alphabetical order. So you should be able to just find the T's. If you don't know the alphabet, uh, poke someone next to you and they'll help you with the alphabet. Um, I, I would encourage you to learn your Bible in those kinds of ways. That you're, you're beginning to know and understand where things are in the Bible. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, 3 is the big number. That's the chapter. Verse 10 is the little number. I want us to see um, the flow of all of this, and then we'll hit um, the last couple of verses here. Paul is instructing his young friend Timothy uh, about what is coming. He's warning him uh, uh, about some of these things. Don't be caught up in foolishness. He's warned Timothy about the days that are coming um, when people are going to go against God. And, and now look at verse 10. He says, you, however, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Hold right there. Paul's saying, you've learned from me. You've seen all the things that I've gone through. You, you've seen the persecution that's coming because I've faced persecution and, and you, you've, you've seen it all. Don't be deceived, Timothy. Don't be deceived. Continue in what you've learned from childhood on. We know that his mother and his grandmother were influential in that. And, and so don't be deceived. Um, continue on in the things you've learned from childhood. The sacred writings. What are those? It's the, the, the scriptures, right? And what, what has that pushed him toward? The very things that have pointed you toward salvation in Jesus. That's what Paul's saying to his young friend, Timothy. Now look at verse 16. This is where we're going to focus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, the man or woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to focus in on those two verses of chapter 3 with this outline in mind. So we're going to just walk through that outline. We're not going to cover everything that you had hoped to cover, but we'll get a lot. All right? First, the authoritative, uh, the, the authority of God's Word. All right? Well, let's focus in there. When we say the authority of God's Word, what do we mean? Let's, let's go backwards. What do we mean by God's Word? Let, let's just start there. We, we start from the very beginning. That God speaks to us through what we have in the pages of Scripture. And, and he's done this for, for years and years and years, centuries he's spoken to us. In fact, um, if you remember from our time in Hebrews, the author says long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his, uh, by his son. So um, long ago, he spoke through his prophets, through the mouth uh, of prophets to the people. But now he speaks to us through his Son, right? He, he speaks the very word of God through the, the word in flesh, his, his son. And, and so God has, has caused humans to speak his word. He has um, used Jesus to, to speak the word and be the word. And, and, in, and in the Bible, we, we see that in, in all kinds of places, that God speaks with, with great authority to his people in a variety of different ways. So if we're, we're talking about the authority of the word of God, we, we're talking about for us, what we now have in the Bible, in the, in the Word of God, what we have here in the pages of Scripture. So from the very beginning, I think we've got to, to answer some questions about this book. 
about the book that you uh, may have there in, in front of you. And here, let me, let me just begin with um, a, a lot of information, maybe some history for you that, that may or may not be interesting, but here we go. The, the Bible is 66 books um, written in two primary languages, Greek and Hebrew, with some Aramaic scattered in, in there. Um, uh, and, and these books are written over a period of about 1,500 years by about 40, 40 different authors. So a lot of uh, work went into this. The Old Testament, um, the, the first half of your Bible, has 39 books and covers, uh, covers a period of time um, from God speaking creation into existence. Then you've got the, the lives of Adam and Eve, and you go from there into Noah and Abraham and Moses, the judges and, and the kings and, and the prophets. So that's the Old Testament, 39 uh, books. And throughout those books, over and over and over again, we see these kinds of words. Thus says the Lord. And those things are recorded. Here's what God said. And, and those things are recorded in time. Here, here's what God said to Moses. Those things were recorded. Here's what God said to Abraham. Those things are, are written down. Here's what God says to the people. And those things have been recorded and, and kept. God is speaking. And what he is speaking has been recorded. And the Old Testament comes then to a screeching halt with, uh, with the book of Malachi, the, the prophet Malachi, who tells of this period of waiting. That, that one day in the future, God will send one who will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers. Comes this screeching halt with this, pro- halt with this prophecy about who is coming. And, and, then, and then God stops speaking to his people for a period of 400 years. There's this there's this period of silence in between the Old and the New Testament where we're, we don't have any words from God. The very last book of the Old Testament um, um, pushes us forward to wait on the coming of John the Baptist who is going to prepare the way for the Messiah, Jesus. And so those 39 books make up the Old Testament. They tell the, the story of, of God's people and the promises that God has made to his people. And within those 39 books, the, the people of old, the, the Jewish people, would, would say that there are, um, there, the, what's made up there is the book of the law, which are those first books in the Old Testament, the prophets, and then the other writings, which are like the Psalms, the, the other, other poetry, and, and some of the narrative, right? So, so that's the Old Testament. Now, what happens in, in history then, about 250 years before Christ, the Old Testament books were translated into Greek. Septuagint is, is what it was called. Maybe you've heard that word. This is all going somewhere, by the way. Um, this isn't just information for information's sake. Um, uh, the Old Testament books were translated into Greek. And when that happened, the Jews living in Alexandria at the time began to, to organize and change the order of the books and the way that they were laid out. They began to add some content of their own and added um, some other other books to what had already been uh, compiled as those 39 books. Years later, the, the Roman Catholic Church adopted many of those books, calling them the Apocrypha, right? And, and so they compiled all those, they adopted those as their own. Now, all that being said, those additions uh, are outside of the original grouping of, of texts from the Jewish people agreed upon for centuries as the Word of God. When God says, record this, when God says, this is what, or when the Word says, this is what God says, uh, the, the Jewish people had agreed upon those 39 books sort of slammed together as 
one. There's much we could say uh, about how the Old Testament books are, are, have been put together and which ones aren't and, and on and on, but we'll simply say this. In the New Testament, if we're looking for evidence, in the New Testament, um, the, the authors, including words from Jesus himself, quote the Old Testament uh, close to 300 times. They're pointing back to the Old Testament as the Word of God. This is what God says. This is the Word of God. Oh, oh, 300 times. A thousand more times or more, um, there are allusions made to the, the truths in the Old Testament. All of it, again, pointing to, to God's Word. The, while all of that's there and, and pointing to it as God's Word, um, any of the apocryphal books and, and any other writings are not ever mentioned as part of God's Word. And so we've got some New Testament backing for why these 39 books are present in, in, the, in the Old Testament as what we now have as God's Word. New Testament, the 27 books making up the New Testament, starting with John the Baptist. So it starts there making, making the way um, for the Messiah, Jesus. Four books at the beginning of the New Testament um, point to the life of Jesus. Then you've got the, the book of Acts, which points to the life of, of the church and, and ongoing. And, and then you've got letters to the churches and letters to the individuals. And, and then the, the New Testament ends with the book of Revelation. Singular, by the way. That's a pet peeve of mine. It's not Revelations. Don't say that. Don't say it. Also, don't say Psalms. Psalms 5. That's not. It's uh, Psalm 5. All right, that's a different thing. We can talk about that a different time. Ends with the book of Revelation, 22 chapters of prophecy about the return of Christ. And it ends with John, the, the author, saying, what? Come, Lord Jesus. And so you've got this whole, this sort of crescendo of books, 27 books pointing forward to the return of Christ. And the early church recognized these 27 books to be the true word of God for us. The early church recognized those books as being the true word of God for us. Listen to this. In the late 300s A.D. Now, I don't know if your mind goes here, if your brain goes here, if you geek out on stuff like this, um, like I do. Um, but, but think about it this way. Um, just over 300 years after Jesus walked the earth, the, the early church said, yes, these things ha- have been written about Christ and the church and, and these letters that have been compiled that all point to the Old Testament as being the authoritative word of God. Yes, all of those things, just 300 years after Christ walked the earth, they, they said, yes, these are the, the books that we're going to grab onto and, and these are going to be the very words of God. That's not a lot of time, is it? No, that's not a lot of time. The, the validity and the truthfulness of these books is grounded in history with just a few hundred years in, in, in distance. I tried to wrap my brain around this. And so I began to do some, so, some historical study this week. And so we can think about it this way. 300 years ago from this date, what happened? That's right, the patent of the typewriter. You all knew that, right? And, and so I began to do some research. 300 years ago, the, the typewriter was patented. Now, we're not that far removed from the typewriter, are we? Right? You can say, well, sure we are, right? We've got these little things that we can type on now. We're, no, but who remembers the typewriter where the arms swung up and hit, hit the paper, right? Not hipsters that found one at a garage sale. I'm just saying, who remembers that, Right? We're not that far removed from when the typewriter was invented and put into to public use. It was just some 300 years ago. 
the New Testament books which we have, 300 quotations from the Old Testament, were officially brought in by the early church as the Word of God just some 300 years after the events that were written in it. That's mind-boggling to me. It's not that much time. The the validity and therefore the veracity, the the truthfulness of these 66 books is strong. Do we have a a book that's that long standing? These 66 books that make up the Old and the New Testament are are authoritative for us. In the Old Testament, we see the promises of God, which have have already been fulfilled in in the New Testament, a lot of them. And and in the New Testament, we have hundreds of quotations and hundreds more uh, allusions pointing back to the Old Testament as authoritative. And so we've got um, these claims from the Bible itself that that God's Word is uh, authoritative. And if those words are from God and we know that God cannot lie, and we also know that everything in Scripture is true and therefore then the standard of truth, right? If God cannot lie and these things are are from God and and He he cannot lie, then those things are true in the standard of of truth. It goes back to to what we saw in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that we would say that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. It's inspired by Him, given to human authors, God's truth from God through authors, still God's authoritative word as the standard of truth. And and if that is true, and and the way we view authority of God's word is true, um, would it be safe then to say this? And I got this from another author. This is is not from me. Um, to, To not believe or to not obey the words of the Bible would be the same as not believing or not obeying God. Does that make sense? That if we truly believe that God's word is authoritative, to not believe and to not obey the Bible it is to not believe and not obey the, the very God who gave them as authoritative, breathed out by him through human authors, written and then preserved by, by humankind for centuries. Now, just pause and consider that. I know that's a lot of information. Pause and consider the gift that we have in the Word of God. It's a, it's a gift that, that we have the very words of the living God for us to, to know Him and, and to love Him. Does that, does that hit you like it ought? I don't, I don't think it does me all the time. Now, uh, back to the outline. Uh, secondly, the, the inerrancy of God's Word. Now, our doctrinal statement says God's Word is authoritative, and, and without error, we could say a lot more about that, and without error in the original writings. That, that's what we would mean by in- inerrancy, right? The original writings do not contain anything that is contrary to truth. Hear that, the original writings, right? Um, uh, so that does not mean, does not mean that our English Bibles may not have a mistake or two in the way that they've been published or printed, right? That's not what it means, right? That may actually be the case. In fact, about five years ago, uh, four or five years ago, I went on a search for a, a Bible that I could read um, and, and preach from and just have as my own. My, my idea was 
I want a Bible that, that's just weathered and used and, and really something that I can hold on to and, and be proud of. And so I went on the search for what I would think is, is the perfect sort of Bible for me, right? One that was like, I could handle it. It wasn't too thin. It wasn't one of those little ones that I couldn't read over time. But it was something that was just good. So I, I found it finally um, from a, a publisher in England. Right? It's beautiful. It lays open flat. It's calf skin, right? I don't want the old cow skin. I want a baby cow, right? I don't know why why that's important. But anyway, um, here we go. Here's what I got. So I got this, and I I began, I I just thought, well, I'm going to read this all the way through. I'm going to start at Genesis. I'm going to read all the way through this. I'm just going to have that as my pattern. And I began reading. I got to some obscure passage in 2 Kings. And when I get to this, uh, some obscure passage in Second Kings, uh, I get to um, this place where God is misspelled. G-U-D. Misspelled. Printed in here. Right? Editor lost a job on that one, I, I'm thinking. But that, that's what happened. It, it was misspelled. And, and so um, uh, an error that I quickly then pointed out to the publisher, and they said, well... Great, we'll get you a new one, just send us that one back. And I thought, from England, how about you just send me the new one, and I'll just keep this one, right, and make it an O. But they didn't, they wanted it back. So here's what, here, all that to say, um, we're not saying that God's words, in the ways that it was published and printed for us now in English, are without error. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is the very words of God in their original writings and the manuscripts that have been found and compiled and the intentions that are there are without error. They do not contradict those things that are true. Right? So we go all the way back to those original writings to say those things do not contradict those things that are true about God. We say a lot more about that, but let's turn our attention to our current day situation. 2019, the inerrancy of Scripture is something that is becoming a lot less popular. Um, and, and some would say, yeah, the Bible, it's a good book. Um, it's some good advice in there, some good things that I can add to my arsenal of other things that I am also reading and learning about. But I don't know that it's all true. I don't know that I can trust all of that to be true. And I like this part and I like that part, but I, I, I really don't like this part. And so I'll just kind of not read that part. And sure, I understand that Jesus was real and he was a human. And I don't know, did he die and raised from the dead? That seems kind of uh, uh, kind of kooky. So I don't know about that. And that's the kind of culture and the society and the, the, the age that we're living in. But, but listen, there are significant problems if we deny the inerrancy of Scripture, right? Because if God's word has error in it, and if we can sort of pick and choose what we think is true and what we don't think is true and what we think is right and not right, if if we're to say that the Bible is not all true and there's some errors in it here and there, really what are we saying? We're saying, I get to determine that. Uh, that that's up to me to decide what I want to to know and understand and and believe. And if we begin to say that there are errors here and there, and and I get to determine what those are, then then what's next? Do you see that slippery slope? What's next from there? Major doctrines begin to crumble. Is God really sovereign? Is, is, Is sin a real thing? Right? Or did we just make this up so we can stay in order? Right? It, uh, what about hell? What about salvation? Do you, do you see how these major doctrines then begin to, to crumble? We believe as a church, I think as Christians for, for, uh, in, in history, the authority of God's word and, and the inerrancy of God's word in part... 
Because by believing those things, the, the attention is pointed not to us, but to God. Does that make sense? The, the, the attention and the focus then is on God. That God and His Word are authoritative. That God and His Word are true and the standard of truth. And I'm not the authority and I'm not the standard of truth. It's authoritative. And so we, we hold to that. All right, let, let's move on. These last two points of our outline, I think, get at the application of our doctrine. They really get at, the, okay, how do we then apply this? The necessity of God's Word. The necessity of God's Word. The, the of God's word. Um, and, and I want to put in front of us, uh, right before we move into these two, and we'll get through these a little more quickly. I want to put in front of us a question. And, and the question is this. Would you say that you need God's Word? Don't answer, just, just consider that. Would you say that you need God's word? Let me let, let, that, let that question just sit for a second. And then I'll add to that. If you're having a hard time sort of sorting that out, let me add to that to, to ramp it up some. Would your life indicate that you have a need for God's word? With the, with the way that you live out life under God indicate that you have a desperate need for God's Word. Now think about it this way. The Bible is clear that to know that God exists, you don't need the Bible. Did he really just say that? Yes. God's Word is clear that, that to know that God exists, you don't actually need the Bible. So if your end goal is just, I, I just want to know that there's an existence of God, that, then you don't need the, the Bible. Things in nature point to the fact that there is a God. In fact, David says in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky points to his handiwork. And Paul talks about this, that if you want to know that, that a God exists and, and know more things about God, you, you can just do that from the things around you. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 19, Paul says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and, and things that have been made. So they are without excuse. So if you want to know that God exists... You don't actually need the Bible. The necessity of God's Word, though, would say, and I think from our statement, our doctrinal statement, the Word of God is utterly authoritative without error in its original writings. Listen to this part. Complete in, in its revelation of His will for salvation. If that's where you're leaning, if you want to know that God exists, you don't need a Bible, but if you want to come to understand your need for the gospel and your need for a Savior, you absolutely need the Word of God. Let me show you what I mean. Turn to Romans, the book of Romans in your Bible. So if you're still in Second Timothy, flip back toward the front a little bit. Romans is the, the first letter um, that we have in our Bibles just after the book of Acts. Romans chapter 10. Is, is God's word necessary? That's what we're trying to, trying to work through. Is God's word necessary? Look at, look at verse 13. Paul says, uh, for everyone, and, and by the way, this is a quote from the book of Joel, which is in the Old Testament. So he's pointing to Joel, one of the Old Testament prophets. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Look at verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, this is from Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So look at this part. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will absolutely be saved, period. But if the word of God has not yet been preached, and if the person has never heard the word of God proclaimed, that person will not believe in the the, the very one who who they are to call upon. And and so God's word is necessary, that everything we need to know about calling out to God for salvation is written in the pages of Scripture, revealed in Scripture. Everything having to do with salvation is revealed to us uh, about salvation. In, In addition to that, the word of God causes us to grow spiritually. So do you need the word of God? You do if you want to grow spiritually. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2 tells us that we are to long for the truth of the Word of God like newborn infants long for milk. Milk to an infant is necessary for ongoing life. That, that's Peter's point. Right? That, that for ongoing life, the, the Word of God is absolutely necessary. In, in addition to that, the, the Word of God is necessary for us in that it points us to, to, to his will. It reveals God's will. What is obedience and what is not. First John 5, 3 tells us that to love God is to keep his commandments. And, and where are we finding his commandments? In the, the word of God. God's word is necessary in that it points us to truth and salvation. It, it points us to ongoing growth in godliness, maturity, and it reveals to us what is obedient to, to God. And in fact, that's where we go back to 2 Timothy 3, that all Scripture is breathed out by God, inspired by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The, the, the Word of God is necessary in, in those ways. It, it's necessary for growth in godliness. It's necessary for obedience. It's necessary for our eyes being open, hearts being open for salvation. So, so let me ask the question again. Would you say that you need God's Word? Let me add to it what I added before. Would you, would you say that your life is one that indicates a desperate need for the Word of God? I'd like to ask us all as a church to consider that this week. To see what that moves you toward in terms of application. Take some time this week maybe to to just think on that. Do I need the Word of God? Does my life indicate that? Maybe if if you're having a hard time sorting through that, um, uh, pick up uh, Psalm 119 and just memorize it. No, just joking. It's 176 verses. Don't do that. Um, Look at it. Read it. Every verse in Psalm uh, 119 points to the beauty, is devoted to the beauty of and necessity of God's Word. You hear the psalmist like just crying out for the truth of who God is in his word. Spend some time considering that. Would your life indicate, the way that you live out uh, life under God, would that indicate that you desperately need the word of God? It's convicting to me. Uh, maybe you're in a place of thinking, well, I'm not sure if I, I need it or not. If I do, I, I don't know why. 
Let's briefly hit hit the the last point of the outline, the sufficiency of God's word. Again, the last part of our doctrinal statement says this, that God's word is sufficient for all that God requires us to to believe and do. And and we can match that up, I I think, to the passage that that we originally read from, from 2 Timothy, that all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man and woman of God may be what? Complete. Equipped for every good work. Complete and equipped for every good work. I think that pushes us to see that God's word is sufficient for all that God requires of us. Now, does that mean that, that nothing else in all of life is helpful? No books, no, no articles, no other relationships, that, that nothing else is required for me to move on in life? Absolutely not, right? That's why we have YouTube right? We, we have that. So we can just, I don't know how to do this. How do I do this? Right? So we have that, but, but for everything that is required for obedience and for faith in, in who God is, the scripture is sufficient for all of that. In fact, one author I, I read this week said this about the sufficiency of scripture, that the, the Bible contains all of the words of God intended, uh, all the words that God intended his people to have at each stage in redemptive history. The Bible um, has all of the, the words God intended for his people to have at each stage of redemptive history. And now it contains everything we need for salvation, ongoing faith, and obedience. So do you see the, the necessity of Scripture tied into the sufficiency of Scripture? That God is saying, yes, you need it, but I'm going to supply everything you need there. It's going to be sufficient for everything that you need, that we would be complete, that we, we would be equipped for every good work. Friends, listen, we live in a communication era where we want knowledge and, and knowledge is being spewed right and left. And so can we just pause this morning and, and, and just take a deep breath and, and, and sort of wrap our brains around this that, that, and consider the, the wonderful grace of of God, that He in His sovereignty and in His kindness has given us His Word. A, a personal God who, who desires relationship with us so much that He just doesn't leave us hanging, but, but He gives us ways that we can know Him and not just know Him, but be drawn in affections toward Him. That, that his word is authoritative, that it's, that it's perfect in its original writings, that it's necessary and, and, and it's sufficient for all that we need to know about him and have faith in him. That God, our loving and triune God, desires relationship with us, has given us everything we need to know about how to have that relationship. We just pause and consider that. The, the beauty of that, the, the grace and kindness of God in that. Here's what I want to do. I, I, I'll be done there. I, I want to... Um, I think it's appropriate, I think, to, to close this morning with a few passages of Scripture. I just want to read them. So, yeah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to close everything down. And, and just sit and, and listen to these, these words. I, I think that are, they're powerful from the Word of God. It's appropriate for us to close uh, on the revelation of God's Word with the revelation of God's Word. And so... Hear the words from Paul in Romans chapter 15. I want to just allow these to to soak in. Paul says, For whatever was written in former days 
was written for our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Listen, as God's word endures, we're encouraged, and not just encouraged in sort of daily life, but that we would have hope that Jesus is returning. How's the Bible end? Come, Lord Jesus. We know that he's returning. We have hope there. And and then listen to Psalm 19. So the, the law of the Lord is perfect reviving the soul. The the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Friends, we have the word of God so that we can know God and grow in affections toward him. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift and kindness from God. Can we pray that we would uh, believe that this morning? Let's pray. God, we, um, we, we come to you asking this morning that you would um, give us a real heart and longing to know you. For, for every person in this room, for those who have walked with you for years, God, I pray that you would give them a, um, a renewed desire to know you, to love you, to have affections growing for you. For those who have known you for days or weeks. God, I pray that you would uh, continue to give a, um, a, a great interest in the things of you, uh, understanding who you are, knowing who you are, loving you more, knowing that you love them. I pray that you would give um, hearts that would see that. And God, for those in this room this morning who may not yet know you, who would not, um, who would not call themselves followers of you, my prayer is that you would, by your Spirit, be softening their hearts so that they would come to know you, that they would understand their need for a Savior and that that Savior is Jesus and then that then they would be um, drawn to knowing who you are through your inspired word that's sufficient in all that they need to know about you and walk in faith and also necessary so that they would know you. God, with the preaching of your word, with the speaking of your word this morning, be drawing people to yourself. That's a work that you do. And God, my prayer for us, for all of us, is that we would have a a growing discipline and desire to know you and your word. Uh, For those who have sort of slipped from that or faded from that, God, I pray that you would give us a longing to know you and your word. And And I pray that it would not become a law that we have to do to achieve your favor, but it would be something that we would have a desire to do so that we would be in awe in our desperate need for you and our our desperate longing to know you more and more. Would you give us that discipline and desire? Even tomorrow as we awake, would you renew that desire in us, I pray. All for your fame. Amen.